Well, hello, it's Pastor Carson from Calvary Tabernacle. Thanks for stopping by the podcast. We hope that it's a blessing to you, whether you're catching one of the Sunday or Wednesday messages, or maybe you're jumping on to listen to one of the Saturday snapshots. We're doing everything we can right here in the beautiful Fountain Square area of Indianapolis to try to reach and connect and disciple people towards Jesus Christ. Enjoy what you listen to, and I hope that it's a benefit to your life. So we are on part two of a two-part series, Practice Makes Perfect. Last week, we started with the end in mind, and we discussed what is perfection when we're looking at Scripture. What we were really looking at is what is God's expectation of us? Most people are frustrated in life. Why? Because they don't have a clear understanding of what's expected of them. Like we've all been in that position. Brother Barry Brown has painted so many different rooms in this building. He's been such a servant, and I love the fact he's going to, if he's in this room, I'm not even going to look up just in case he's here because he'll hate me bringing this up. But he has realized that he has this gift, and he may not be called to preach, but he uses that gift to benefit the church every chance he gets. And he is, he's probably painted this entire building more than once, been at CCS, everywhere painting. I bring that up to say that if we call him and ask him, can you help by painting this area? The answer is always yes. But if we call Brother Barry Brown or shoot him a text and say, hey, can you paint at the church Thursday? Period. He replies, yes. Question mark. Like, where do you want me to paint? What room would you like me to paint? Another good question that he could be helped by is if we told him what colors we wanted him to paint with. He's a servant to God. He's trying to do something good, but he can become frustrated, I'm sure, really quickly by us not giving him clear expectations for what we're asking him to do. He wants to serve. It's not a matter of somebody not wanting to. It's a matter of having a clear understanding so that they can get it done. Me and my wife and kids were driving the other day. We were together as a family. We were heading over to some friend's house. And while we're driving, this torrential downpour hits right when we leave our neighborhood. And it's pouring, pouring. I got the wipers on high speed. Everybody's driving slow. You can barely see through the window with the wipers. Swish, 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 swish. Super fast. And through that, I realized uh, on Thompson Road, they're heading towards Emerson, heading east towards Emerson. Cars in front of me. I see the taillights swerving right. Right, right, right. Several car, car after car after car. The only problem with that is, is there's no road to the right. It's all grass. And as soon as the car in front of me finally swerves into the grass, I see the headlights of a car coming towards oncoming traffic, us, and we do the same as everyone else did. We swerve off into the grass. And as we're swerving in the grass, trying to get a turnaround and towards face the street again, the car passes and we're like side by side, slow motion. And I can see just enough of the person that I'm pretty confident they're passed out in the car. 
And so we immediately swoop behind them. Janae calls 911 on the phone. The kids and Janae are praying. I'm following behind. I've got my blinkers on, my flashers on. I'm honking. We're like, babe, somebody's going to get killed. This person's going. They start swerving close to the rail. They're just about to smack into the rail. All the cars are swerving off the road. And then they get right back on the street. And it's just barely coasting, coasting, coasting. They make a right on that corner while I'm beeping my horn. I pull close to the side of them. Then I got to get behind them, try to get on the other side. But I have to be careful because it's torrential downpour and there's other traffic. Finally, after probably about a mile of driving, this car somehow miraculously pulls right into a neighborhood and parks like caddy corner in the middle of the street. We swoop in behind. Janae's on the phone with 911. I get out the car, run over to the driver's seat. I open the door. And this little old lady is just looking at me like nothing has happened. <laughs> Ma'am, are you okay? Like, are you hurt? Is there, did you pass out? Did you have a seizure? No. No. Actually, what the problem was is she was missing the wiper on the driver's side of the car. She was just coming back from the store that she had been to probably hundreds of times. She'd been there and home. She lived right in Beach Grove. But because of the torrential downpour, she could not clearly define where the street was. She didn't know what was going on. Now, I'm not saying that she was right by driving out in that. Obviously, that should not have happened. Thankfully, nobody got hurt. But my point is, that things that are really easy to do when you have clarity can become impossible when you don't. Clear expectations and clear understanding of those expectations makes all the difference in our ability to accomplish it. So that's what we were trying to unpack when we were looking at Matthew 5:48 last week that said, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. We were trying to get the wipers working in the torrential downpour so that we could clearly understand what it was that God expected from us. And we defined from a biblical standpoint that perfection did not mean sinless or no fault. It actually meant maturity. So what God was expecting of us was to become mature Christians. And maturity in its most pure definition is understood through consistency. Not just bearing fruit because we bear fruit when we're babes in Christ. We bear fruit when we mature to teenagers in Christ. And we bear fruit when we're really mature in Christ. It's about how consistent we bear that fruit that determines if we are actually mature or not. So tonight's lesson, we're going to Scoot back to the beginning, to the practice side of practice makes perfect. And we're going to try to answer, how then do we arrive at a place of spiritual maturity? How do I get there? Because when we ask that question, what we're really asking is, how do I please God? Because he fully expects us on one hand to reach a level of maturity. He expects that of us. So if he expects it, it's not an option. It's not something we get to pick and choose from. There's no static spirituality. It doesn't exist. We must continue to grow. And so how do we do that? How do I please God? 
There's a story of a pro golfer. He said that I was practicing in a bunker down in Texas, and this good old boy with a big hat stopped to watch. The first shot he saw me hit went in the hole, and he said, you got 50 bucks if you knock the next one in. I hold the next one, and then he says, you got 100 if you hold the next one after that. In went three in a row. As he peeled off the $100 bills, he said, boy, I've never seen anyone so lucky in my life. And the golfer's response says it all. Well, the harder I practice, the luckier I get. Isn't it true? There's just no substitute in life for practice. Practice is defined by performing an activity or exercise, a skill repeatedly or regularly in order to improve or maintain one's proficiency. I love this quote from Zig Ziglar. He says, repetition is the mother of learning, the father of action, which makes it the architect of accomplishment. Anybody that makes it anywhere in honing in a craft has done so through practice. So here's the question. Does this translate to Christian discipleship and to the Christian life? Is it possible to get better at showing mercy? To grow in generosity? To become more loving? To be a better neighbor? And so we're going to take a look tonight at 2 Peter chapter 1. And we're going to look at the first few verses, verse, first several verses to help get an understanding. What does scripture say about the process of growing in maturity? Verse 1 says, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith, with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. The first four verses are putting it in context for us. He is talking and writing to a group of people who have already obtained like precious faith. They are believers in Jesus Christ. They, are, they have experienced the foundational, fundamental aspects of our faith. He goes on to say that grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. That the grace and peace of God would multiply. That means that it would grow within us through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Verse 3 says, According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Verse 4 is the last one we'll read for contextual purposes. Whereby are given unto us exceeding, 
great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. He's talking about the fact that there are promises and precious gifts in Christ. And so he's, he's talking to people that at the very, very least, from what we looked at last week in the writing of Hebrews, they are at least a group of believers that are babes in Christ. They have at least the foundational aspects covered in their life. They believe in him. They love him. They're experiencing the, the gift and the grace of God. They're walking in his favor. That is who he is writing to. I'm going to ask uh, Brother Fridley uh, and Brother Crawford if we could just get some, some of those footballs together. You see, we've got this net here. This net is meant to be, I see, brother, are you mad at me, sir? You're not mad at me. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. The, um, this net is constructed so that people can practice their ability to throw a football. It's built for that. That is why it is here. And so what I want to do is I want to get a few individuals. I want to start with somebody young. Do we have anyone under 15 that would be willing to stand and throw a football. Where's Wyatt? All right, send Wyatt, this young man back here in the red shirt. You stood and was willing to come. You come up real quick. Do you need to move? Sister, <laughs> you know. I, I want to say no. Um. <laughs> we had an executive pastor. <laughs> okay, so, so why, hold on. Do you feel comfortable throwing from right there or do you want to scoot up a little bit? <laughs> he gave me the dirtiest look. It's like, please don't embarrass me in front of everybody. Okay, so here's what I want you to do. I just want you, how many balls do we have? We have, could he throw five? Okay, so how about Brother Crawford, you'll hand him to him so he can throw him. Brother Fridley, you'll come down here and be the retriever so we can get some, uh, some different participants going here. Okay, Wyatt, let's have it, man. Pick, pick one, though, and shout it out because we want to know if you got it on purpose or by accident. What number are you going to go for? Three? Do it. Hey, whoa, that was close, bro. Very good. Go again, let's fire. Okay. All right. Got it. Hey, this is it. Hey, my man, you got it. Okay. Oh, robbed. That was there. We've got one more. Let's do it. Hey, good job, man. Good job. Thank you. Let's give him a hand. All right, you ready? Whenever you're ready. What number are you going for? All right, do it. Hey, get it. It's all right. Let's see. Mm-hmm, okay. All right. 
This is the last one, or how many has he got? Okay, let's do it. Hey! All right, guys, if you don't mind being seated, thank you for your help, man. I appreciate it. Brother Crabtree, you're up. Yep, you're going to step back a few, though. Well, I couldn't call Brother Henderson because when his son made more than he, it would be bad. It would be bad. So we left Brother Henderson out. Okay, you get five. Which one are you going for? Okay. <laughs> he rolled that net down. All right, we're still going for three? All right, do it. Yeah. The Colts are looking for a... Whoa. My man. Look at that. I appreciate that. Thank you guys for participating. The net is there for practicing. It's there so that somebody can over and over again practice their throw with the objective of improving their accuracy. They want to get better at it, and they know they want to get better at it. In order to get better at it, they take the time. They set the time aside. If it's the heat of the day, they go out. If the football team's practicing, and they practice it, and they give it their all so that they continue to improve at playing football. In this instance, a quarterback would just continue to throw, throw after throw after throw. In just a few minutes, you could see Brother Crabtree. From his first throw to the next four throws, practice makes you get better. You improve by the repetition of going through it over and over and over again. That is the natural side of how things work. It doesn't matter what you're doing in life. That's how it goes. You talk about somebody that achieved greatness being a great quarterback, and what they typically will say is that person was the, the first one out there on the field. They were the first one to show up before anybody else got here, and after everyone went home, they were still out there practicing. They took more putts than anyone else took. They took more chips than anyone else took. They shot more free throws than anyone else on the team shot. They threw more passes than anyone else on the team would throw because those people that have achieved greatness mastery of their craft, did that by putting in the work. That's where practice becomes something that's considered challenging. A lot of people want to be LeBron James. No? All right, give me one that someone wants to be. Peyton Manning. A lot of people, a lot of people do want to be like Jesus. You're right, brother. But back to the sports. A lot of people want to be like Peyton Manning. Not a lot of people have the initial gifts, but even more people don't have the desire to put in the practice and the work that it takes to be able to consistently throw like he throws. It takes work. And so now I want to take our attention to the, last, uh, the next few verses of 2 Peter, starting in verse 5. It says this, And besides this, besides what? Besides being people who have obtained precious faith, besides being people that have a hunger and a desire for God, besides being those who are walking in truth, besides that, giving all diligence 
That means intentionally working hard to add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. Peter's making this point that once you've become the person that's made it to a place where you are loving God and you're living for God, where you've experienced what it's like to repent of your sins and to be washed clean in the waters of baptism when the name of Jesus Christ is called over you, when you know what it's like to be filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost and to be endued with power from on high so that you can walk in the newness of life after you've experienced all of those great things. Does anyone remember what it was like when you made up your mind and you're like, no, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm going to turn my eyes to Christ. I want to repent of those things. I want to live for him. I want to taste more of what I'm feeling when I'm in his presence, right? It's incredible. And then you make a decision because you want to obey scripture and you want to know what it's like to be really forgiven. And so you give yourself to obedience of baptism in Jesus' name and you go up there or wherever you were and you go down in the water and they call the name of Jesus over you and you come out of that water and it's much more different than taking a bath or being dunked in the dunk tank. Because you come out of water and something spiritual, something supernatural has just taken place. That old man is buried in that water and you come up a new creature in Christ. Come on, I'll never forget it. What it's like to have my sins washed away. God, I hope I never take for granted that one day I went down in your name and I came up brand new. Every sin completely forgiven and then for God to fulfill his promise in our lives by filling us with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I don't know about you. Speaking in tongues is a very unique way for God to choose for us to know that we receive the Holy Ghost. But for me, I'm so thankful that it's a clear sign to me that I don't have to wonder, God, did I experience the infilling of your spirit? Have I made it to where that place is where you said you would fill me with your promise or not? I know because when it happened, it happened just like it happened in the book of Acts and every single time after that God, as the spirit gave the utterance, I spoke in a language that I did not know. How powerful is that that God would confirm that in us so that when we leave this place, after experiencing something like that, we're not questioning if we did or did not. We know that we experienced that power. And you know what that does for us? We can walk out of a church service. We can walk out of a prayer meeting with our head held high. We can walk in confidence knowing that if he did all of those things in my life exactly like he said he would, then everything else he promised will follow too. And Peter is talking to people that have experienced everything we just talked about. And we rejoice over those things. Man, we shout over those things. Heaven has angels rejoicing when just one sinner repents. And Peter is saying that, listen, beside this, you need to give all diligence you need to give your energy. You need to give all of your effort. You need to give of your time. And you need to focus and work hard to add to your faith 
virtue. And to virtue, knowledge. And to knowledge, temperance. And to temperance, patience. And to patience, godliness. You see what's happening here? There are a lot of places we could have went to look and see if Scripture teaches us about maturity being a process or not. If maturity is going to take practice, repetition, or, or not. Is it going to be something that happens the moment God fills us with the Holy Ghost? We've already understood through Scripture that's not the case. But here in 2 Peter, he really carves this out for us so we can go to one portion of Scripture and get a really good understanding that you're always going to be adding to what you have. You didn't get there and arrive and have enough that you don't need anymore. You always need more. That's the beauty of walking with Christ is, is we can continue to grow in him. How many times have you opened the word of God and read a scripture or a passage that you've read a hundred times before and all of a sudden because you're in a different place in life, because you're in a different level of maturity, it speaks to you completely unique, different than it has any time before. Oftentimes that happens and it's like hitting you right where you need it to hit you at that specific moment in time. And you get there through repetition and maturing in him. Step by step, adding to things, giving diligence to it, working for it. Verse 7 says this, And to godliness, brotherly kindness. This stopped me in my tracks. Who's writing this? Peter, Peter's writing this. He's saying, to godliness, add brotherly kindness. In Galatians chapter 2, Paul's writing to the Galatians, and he's making a, a statement to them. He's explaining something to them. He's explaining to them that how in Antioch, he had to withstand Peter to his face. Why? Because Peter chose, when he got around certain Jewish converts, certain Jewish Christians, to no longer hang out with the Gentile converts, the Gentile Christians. He was okay with them and being around them for a little bit, but when a certain time came, there were Jewish Christians, those that were circumcised, some of them still believing, although they followed the teaching of Christ, some still believing that circumcision was necessary, even following Christ, and even certain ceremonial laws were necessary. And so he's, he's battling between, do I, do I come and, 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 and evenly be with the Gentile Christians who I know the Jewish Christians are looking down on right now? And he makes a decision. And he just says, you know what? I'm, not, I'm just going to pull away from them. And in this setting, I'm going to spend time with these guys so these guys are happy with me. I don't want to get them upset. And Paul talks to the Galatians and he lays it out for them about how he rebukes Peter to his face. To his face. And Peter's writing right here that when, when you're following Christ and when you're growing in Christ and when you're maturing in Christ, you're going to have to get to a place where godliness brings you to brotherly kindness. No one understands that like him. He understood what it was like to turn his back on fellow believers because they didn't seem to be like the upper snuff or those that had all the credentials and those that seemed to have things just right and just perfect, the Jewish heritage. 
He understood what it was like to make that mistake. He would understand what it would be like to be someone in church for 25, 30 years. And someone new be in church for a few months and, and they repent and they receive the Holy Ghost and they get baptized in Jesus' name just like everyone else that's been around for 40, 30, 20 years. And for, for us to make a decision, Peter understood what it would be like to be around those folks and to feel like, man, I can't really spend time with them. They're too new. They don't, they don't have it all together like the other ones. And so I'm going to separate myself. Make this decision. I'm just going to separate myself and spend more time over here with the people that I've got more in common with. Right? That's, that's what Peter was dealing with when he was talking about maturing. You want to know what maturing in Christ looks like? This is what it looks like. This is what practicing in Christ looks like. You saw them throwing the footballs, right? They threw the footballs, threw the footballs. What was the common denominator? They made some and they missed some. That's what practicing is. If they made every one of them, they wouldn't need to practice. Then we're getting back to that place of an understanding of perfection that's not reality. The perfect throw, you never miss a shot. You never miss a putt. You never miss a catch. That doesn't exist. Sports, we worship people in like sport arenas and basketball stars and baseball stars. And when you look at the greatest of the great and you look at their stats, they're actually sad. When you, when you compare it to perfection. If you compare it to a perfect score where they never missed, then even the best of the best ball players are terrible. The best of the best batters are terrible. The home run hitters, the best in history, are terrible. If you compared it to they should have hit a home run every single time they swung a bat. That's what it looks like when you're practicing in real life. You hit some, you make some, you miss some. That's what it looks like. In the spiritual walk, it's exactly the same thing. You get some things right, and you get some things wrong. People don't practice because they don't believe practice is necessary sometimes. They see the all-stars up there on the stage, and they see them perform, and they see that few minutes or that one-hour game where they were 20 minutes on the court out of 60 minutes game, and, and they see how good they played, and they don't know anything about, they forget about the hours the days, the weeks, the months, and the years of practice that went into becoming that, right? People forget about that. That's why newlyweds, pastor mentioned this the other day, they get married and they expect to have the same large house and same fancy car that some family that has been married for 25, 30 years has. Because they see how it is. They're like, oh, I must be able to obtain those things. And they make the mistake when they purchase those things without the finances to maintain that lifestyle. It's the same thing when we're Christians trying to grow in Christ. If we miss the aspect of what it means to practice and to grow in Him, to put work and to grind it out every single day over and over again, that when, when I slip and say a cuss word, I'm going to remind myself next time, don't talk like that. When, 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 I, when I say something I shouldn't say, I'm going to remind myself, watch your attitude. You shouldn't, you shouldn't act like that towards people. 
catching myself and, and making sure that if I've done something wrong, if I've started to stumble or started to make a mistake, I'm going to align things a little better next step. But I'm not going to quit practicing because if I do, I never get there. The only way we arrive at a place of maturity is by continue to put in the work. That's why we call it a process. That's what we have to get our hearts and minds around as Christians. My goal tonight was, was not to come in. You've heard the saying, right? You can teach, you can give a man a fish and you can feed him for a day or you can teach a man to fish and you can feed him for a lifetime. My goal tonight was not to, to come in and, and help everyone understand that I want to teach you to fish by giving you the exact pole you should have, giving you the proper reel and the right line that you should buy explaining to you what kind of bait you should have when you go into the depths of the sea so that you can catch exactly what you're wanting to catch. That's not the goal. But my goal tonight is to help all of us understand and to feel comfortable that the Word of God teaches us to continue to grow and we grow by practicing. So you have to know within your hearts that if you're going to be what God wants you to be, then you've got to keep on fishing. You've got to keep on trying. There's going to be different baits for different fish. There's going to be different lines depending on what you're doing. There's going to be better poles next time you'll pick the right pole. Why? Because you learned this time that pole doesn't work. Trial and error. God help us when our haltiness makes us think like, why would we want to hold ourselves to, nope, I'm born again. I need to have it all together. I'm perfect. I'm faultless. No problems, no struggles, no worries. Like, why would we even want to pretend like Scripture teaches that? It, no, here, here's the funny thing. None of us live up to that. Not even right now. Mr. 20-year, Sister 50-year, doesn't matter how long we've been in this. You never live up to that expectation. So why would we want to pretend like that's necessary in order to get it done? Perfection is stumbling and falling. Peter, man, if you look at it here, he's getting called out in Galatians by, at Antioch, but he's talking about it. Paul's talking about it in Galatians. But if you look back in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 15, the Jerusalem council, where they met, you know what they met about? They met about, do we need to hold Gentiles and Jews accountable to circumcision and other ceremonial laws in order to follow Christ in the way we're supposed to follow him. Now, there was like the first general conference took place and they met about that. Paul and, and Barnabas disputed the Jews that were saying that needed to happen. And in the middle of that, in the middle of that, Peter rises up and he reminds them that he was the voice that God sent to the Gentiles back in Acts when he was going to talk to Cornelius. And he reminds the group there at the, at the first general conference where all the bigwigs are, and he says to them, remember that the Holy Ghost fell on them just like it fell on us. He goes, how, how dare we put a weight and a burden on them that our fathers nor we could even bear ourselves. Now I looked and I wanted to find a very clear explanation of did Paul, Rebuke Peter in Antioch before Peter stood up and made this declaration or after. 
You look it up yourselves. Acts doesn't deal with the exact event. Historically, it looks like, and most commentaries agreed, that he first had the encounter when he stood up and defended keeping everybody equal, circumcision is not necessary, ceremonial law is not necessary, and then shortly after that is when he's in Antioch and he finds himself not following what he just stood up and preached. You know what that is? Humanity. I know we're disappointed. We're mad because we thought, nah, he was supposed to be really perfect. He was. From the biblical sense of maturity, he was growing. He was working through some things. He made some, and he missed some. Wasn't always perfect. Wasn't. That's the reality of it. I'm not here to give us a jail out of free, a get out of jail free card at all. That's not the case. Should we continue in sin? The grace, grace may abound. God forbid. It's not a get out of jail free card. So somebody could look at this teaching and they could say, oh man, that's great. And you could take it that way and that way will lead you right into destruction. But if you take it the way the scripture means it and the way I intend it to mean, you can take this and you can use it to mature and to grow in Christ the way he designed you to do it. You can. We go on to read in verse 8. For if these things be in you and abound. If they are in you and they abound, meaning that they're actually active and growing in your life. He's dealing with it again. If they are, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who wants to bear fruit for the kingdom? Who wants to make a difference in their community? Who wants to see their family saved? Who wants to see people delivered? Who wants to see people walking in hope instead of hopelessness? We can be fruitful if these things are in us and abound. But he that lacketh these things is blind, cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, ye shall never fall. It's understood to be that if you continue to grow, if you continue to practice, if you say, you know what, I understand that the only way anybody gets good is through practice and you're okay to throw some footballs in front of your friends knowing that you're going to miss some and you're going to make some, then you're never going to fall away. If you're okay to do it in front of family members and co-workers, you're okay with being a Christian and learning and growing and stumbling your way through it as God continues to strengthen you and give you the ability to do so, and you're okay understanding that sometimes I'm going to get it right. Sometimes I'm going to get it wrong. 
But that's how I know to keep improving. If you do those things, look, what greater promise do we want from him? Right? If you do those things, you are guaranteed to make it. Let me say it this way. So that we talked about clarity. It's really important, right? So let me be crystal clear. Getting baptized in Jesus' name, having repented and being filled with the Holy Ghost is not our golden ticket to heaven. <laughs> no, that's a whole other Bible study. But that's as misunderstood as the word perfection is. We don't have this one encounter and this one moment with God that guarantees we make it to eternity with him. How do I make it to eternity then? Peter just explained it by practicing, by having such a love for it that you're not embarrassed to get up day after day and do it over and over and over and over again. I know I'm going to drop some passes, but I'm going to get better. I'm not going to drop 7 out of 10 anymore, right? If you start out dropping 7 out of 10 and 10 years into it, you're dropping 7 out of 10, you're not growing. Practice, practice, practice. For a just man falleth seven times and rises up again. Verse 11 says, For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We talked about it just a few minutes ago. About sometimes people don't recognize the need to practice because from a distance they're catching their idols and their stars. Sometimes it's a sports star, sometimes it's mom and dad. But they only really catch them when it's time for performance. Performance isn't bad in the way I'm using it tonight. Performance, I'm meaning that's when the time comes where what they've practiced for comes to light and needs to show itself. So we could look at a preacher that we love. Man, they bring it every single time they preach. You feel the anointing when they preach. You get a word from God every time they grab a microphone. And you're so thankful for what they're doing in their ministry. But if we're not careful, we see that and we think that's all there is to it. We don't know them well enough to know that there's countless hours in the prayer room. Daily, day in and day out fasting, where while everybody else is enjoying a good meal, they've went days by pushing back the plate so that their flesh could be pushed into submission so that they could prepare themselves to hear from God. They've been in their word on a regular basis, reading for hours and hours at a time, day after day, because they love so much how God just brings to life everything on those pages. They don't see that. Here's what we need. This is my call to action for us. Is that we make, we say, we live in such a way that our friends, our families, they see the behind the scenes. 
They don't just see the performance side of what we do as Christians. They don't just see us witnessing to somebody or sharing a word with somebody. You know, I love it as a dad. We, how many dads we have in the room? Yeah, man. What's cooler than being a dad? I mean, we could also ask what's scarier than being a dad. There's nothing. But there's nothing cooler than being a dad. I love this fact. I'm five foot seven. I'm not athletic. But my kids, at a certain age, they think I'm Superman. Like I can do anything. Leap buildings. The truth of the matter is I barely fought off. Is my wife in here? She is, she knows. I barely fought off by like the skin of my teeth, a wasp that made it in the house the other day. <laughs> I destroyed a broom, ruined a notebook. He's dead, let me tell you. But I could have got off way easy if I just opened the door and let him just have his way. Here's what I'm saying. Our kids look to us as inspiration. They look to us as a source of strength. They look to us as people that can do anything. What they need to see in us, that that strength only comes from him. Our kids need to see that the only way we can approach our daily routine in life is because behind the scenes, we've spent time praying with the king of kings that I don't have the ability to figure out all of the problems, that I don't even believe that I can make it through the day accomplishing God's will without his presence going with me. It's okay that our kids know that we pray. Not enough that we talk about prayer. They need to see it in the home. I'm not even embarrassed by it. I'll open the front door. I got this living room where me and Janae like to pray at. My kids like to come in the kitchen. It's connected. They like to do their morning thing. It doesn't bother me at all. They're in there eating cereal. They can even be loud. I don't care. We're praying. When we pray, it doesn't matter. I'm not bothered. I don't feel like I'm showboating. In fact, sometimes I'll be praying. I'll catch an ear that they're in there, and I'll walk in there praying on purpose. Walk through the kitchen praying. Hey, guys. Good morning. Right back to praying. Praying. Why? Because I just want them to know that that's the practice that goes into being able to talk to somebody, being able to love on someone that's broken and on someone that's hurt, being able to deal with the fact when somebody accuses you falsely or somebody takes advantage of you or somebody talks about you behind your back or you lose your job, how do you get through those things? Dad, I get through it because I lean on him. They just need to see behind the curtain. Stand with me. Let me hear you say it with me. It's a process. Don't ever forget it. God, don't ever let anyone come in this church that sees me in a suit and in a tie and thinks for any reason that this is easy or thinks for any moment that I've got it all together, that I'm perfect because our music sounds so good or because the preaching is so on par because our building looks good, because our parking lot is full of nice cars. The blessing of God is upon us, but it's only by his grace. The very best of us, the riches of us, 
the smartest of us, all live our lives the same way. And anyone that comes in this place, God, let them know that. Let's share it with them.